You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Downtown studio at the bottom of the hour, Buck Martinez, Blue Jays color analyst. Jays kick off a series against the Reds in Cincy tonight. It's an Apple Plus game, Apple TV game, so you can definitely hear it right here on Sportsnet 960. Uh, Curtis Joseph, former National Hockey League goaltender at 8 o'clock. Cujo, of course. He's sort of the topic of our text topic today for you to win a pair of tickets to go see Gran Turismo based on a true story. Give us uh, your favorite uh, beer league nickname you heard or you've had or you played with a guy with a beer league nickname. We'd love to hear it. 960-960, name and location on the text line. We'll do that to wrap up the week. But right now, it's that first, I think, first real weekend of drafting fantasy football teams. And to give you a hand with that, from Fantasy Pros on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, we say good morning to Derek Brown. Derek, how are you? Thanks for this. Oh, I'm doing good. Just sitting here uh, enjoying the midst of draft season, updating ranks, and getting some caffeine mm. into the system right now. Um, how many fantasy drafts have you already completed? Oh, are we counting best ball teams here, or just regular? I'm counting everything. Drafts? How many have you already done? It's it's you know it's <laughs> mid to late August here. What number are we at? Oh, if we're gonna throw best ball teams in here, um. Maybe around 200 teams. Um, oh if goodness. we're just doing redrafts, then probably about 15. 15. Okay, so <laughs> we had uh, we had Jeff Erickson on, I'm sure, uh, colleague on the industry. Uh, we had him on. He says mm-hmm. during the season he has about 20 teams he manages. How many are you managing? It'll be around, I think the, the closing number is going to be about 15 to 17, if my math is okay. right. That's uh, that's incredible. Uh, you're like you're just watching football. Do you pretty much just fall asleep and then wake up to see all your teams did because there's so much going on? Is that how it works? Uh, essentially, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I can manage to keep my eyes open, um, right. I'm sweating DFS lineups when, on the weekly. But sure, uh, that, unfortunately, that that is <laughs> if I'm not writing, um, a lot of it is yes, you <laughs> falling asleep with a remote in the hand in front of the TV. Derek, do you have, what's your preference on on app choice? I know Sleeper, Ooh. ESPN, Yahoo. Like who are you who are you going to the most? Oh, I think Sleeper is. I love Sleeper. Of the best, oh. the best platform out there. Um, and they just revolutionized their entire app and stuff. So people haven't downloaded or updated it. Yes, like, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, you can get access not only while you're drafting teams and stuff you can get access to our fantasy pros podcast videos all kinds of stuff on the app itself and never even have to leave that's awesome um derek wanted to ask you uh it, it's it's funny how things just turn in fantasy football obviously it's a year well it's a week to week thing the team you draft not mm-hmm. is not necessarily going to look like anything at the end of the season but it, it's unbelievable how it feels like not only in real football, in the National Football League, how the running back position has been devalued, but now it's even starting to uh, come in, creep in full force into the fantasy football community. Are you a guy that you're taking Justin Jefferson, number one? Are you taking Jamar Chase? Are you still going to grab CMC? Are you still going to try to grab Austin Eckler? What is your What is your approach with drafting running backs in the first couple rounds of your fantasy football league? So, for me, yes, Chase and Jefferson are at the 101-102 conversation. Uh, my 103 is not Christian McCaffrey. It's actually Travis Kelsey. Um, Ooh, yeah, okay. I mean, in that sense, 
my first running back would not come off the board into the sixth overall pick. Um, and honestly, you don't even have to take him there. Uh, Tony Pollard being my RB1, you can get him in second round of drafts. Um, wow. So yeah, it just depends on with uh, – I know I kind of dropped the hot take just in passing there. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with running backs, it kind of depends on where I'm drafting in the round, how the draft is falling to me. And I do think it is a distinct leverage point. And I am not against drafting wide receivers early and often, but I think that the death of RB, RB starts uh, has kind of been proclaimed um, maybe a little bit early in the sense of we should not do this at all and all those types of things. And I get the volatility and all those reasons, but I still think there's something to be said because our wide receivers are going so early off the boards. It is a leverage point, whether you're doing redraft or best ball to how most people are building their teams. So is there volatility? Is the risk? Absolutely. And I'm not telling people not to go zero RB. I'm not telling people not to sit here and draft wide receiver heavy early. But if the draft is falling to you and you can get even a start, and this is one of the reasons why I love the turn this year, um, the back half of the first round, is you could probably start a team with B. John Robinson and Tony Pollard, and you really should not be able to do that. Like, both of those guys should be first-round picks this year. They are not because of how much wide receivers have been pushed up the board. So I am not opposed, unlike a lot of my colleagues, I am not opposed to starting RBRB. Uh, Derek, with the uh, with the you talk about with the wide receivers and the passing game obviously becoming more of a forefront here in the NFL. Uh, is how important is it to to get one of these stacks? Like if it's uh, if you get Jamar Chase, is it like okay, I got to get Joe Burrow in the next round, or if I get Travis Kelsey at the top, I got to get Pat Mahomes. I mean, like maybe that's not maybe one you can get, but if it's like uh, Jefferson's cousins, it's like how important are we putting emphasis on stacks nowadays? In best ball formats, uh, it, it's incredibly important. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a pillar of how you should be building your rosters. In managed leagues and redraft, I don't think it's, it's a necessary thing. Now, now, and I will say this as a caveat, if a quarterback falls to me and I, am, and I can stack up a player like his top receiving option, things like that, am I opposed to doing it? No, not at all. I mean – we, and, and this also goes with the idea of stacking offenses. Am I opposed to drafting the running back and the RB1 and wide receiver one from an offense? No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Am I opposed to drafting the wide receiver one and wide receiver two of an offense? No, I'm not, depending on the offense. And this all comes back to stacks and redraft are not a must, not a have to, not something you reach for. But all we're trying to do is simply answer the question of we want to, how do we draft? good players from good offenses. Mm-hmm. We see this year after year, two, one offense supporting two top 24 wide receivers, one offense supporting two top 24 wide receivers and a top tight end or an RB1. So buying into good offenses or even throwing this to offenses that you think are underrated and can support really good players mm-hmm. is totally fine. I'm not going to shy away from that. Um I think this is something I think I've done and maybe other people have done is uh, when you get to coming across a player that maybe has some injury problems in the past, like I know Keenan Allen's one name that always pops up and it's like, oh, he's been injured. Like, do do I want to avoid him? Like there's players that obviously have the injury billing around them. I think of like, you know, the quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson to, uh, you know, George Kittle. And like, what what is your idea with, with guys that maybe have more 
injury proneness to them and do you want to avoid them or do you like, okay, that's too big of a name to avoid? I look at situation first thing and foremost and skill set and stuff and where the players are yeah. at in their careers as far as efficiency standards. For As far as injuries go, <clears throat> I feel like that's one of the biggest pain point recency bias things that you could take advantage mm-hmm. of in drafts. Like the fact that Keenan Allen is being drafted as wide receiver two right now is absolute insanity. Outside of last year, he was a lock to play 15 or more games. Yeah. And, and the NFL saying everybody's injury prone, a lot of people are, will toss out the moniker, but it's like all of these guys play a fast and violent sport. <laughs> Everybody playing in yeah. the NFL is an injury risk. Yeah. So, you know, it's like how far do we take that moniker? Oh, well, you can't draft running backs because they're too injury prone. Uh, you can't draft really talented wide receivers or other players because they're injury prone. It's like, well, they all play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. This is part of the game. So I'm willing to sit here and – embrace that risk because players like Ian Allen and Darren Waller have been screaming values all year because of those questions. And I continue drafting you know, Like both of those guys are inside of my top five exposures across those two positions. Derek Brown from fantasy pros joining us here on the Atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline, big show, Russick and Rose with Patrick Sportsnet 960, the fan. So, Derek, if somebody's starting up a new league or somebody has an existing league and they want to spice it up, what's the best way to go? If you're a standard league, is it PPR? Is it half PPR? If you're drafting and you want to spice things up, is it just your standard snake draft? Should you go to auction? You know, what's the best draft style? What's the best kind of league you should be having right now if you're starting one or if you want to kind of mix things up with your existing league? I think all leagues should be switched to Superflex, first of all, because yep, quarterback yep. position being devalued, pump them up the board, give them the respect they are due. And, yes, I will adamantly, adamantly, especially if you're doing a live draft and yep. you, uh, after you've run through all these mocks on the Draft Wizard on Fantasy Pros, you're getting ready for a live draft, auction is hands down the best thing. Because if you really want to embrace talking crap to everybody else in the room, like, that is one of the most fantastic things ever as far as, like, betting up prices, strategy, how you're going to construct your roster. It adds a whole different layer, and I'm a big proponent of you get your guys in the draft, and so that allows you to do that. Now, how much you're going to spend is up to you. Right. How much would you spend for Justin Jefferson in a 200 cap? <laughs> um, just empty the clip. I mean, all, no, no. I mean, seriously, like, I would be – aggressive on Jefferson, but also this kind of comes down to league size and format and starting two wide receivers versus three. Um, if people are going to go over the moon and just break their wallets and auction for him, I mean, I'll happily just avoid him and draft Amon Ross St. Brown for cheaper. <laughs> um, what, what's the biggest name that you want no part of on your, on your multiple teams this season, Derek? Uh, probably Devo Samuel. I have okay. no interest at all. And, He has a wide receiver two price tag right now, and I think it's ludicrous. Um, After Christian McCaffrey arrived in San Francisco, we saw his production tank. The 49ers have neutered him into a low A dot, no deep targets, no red zone targets type of role. And I'm sorry, I don't have a whole lot of interest in a wide receiver three and PPR formats um, on a run first offense. So I'm extremely underweight on Devo. I don't even know if I've drafted him across my almost 200 teams, maybe more than a handful of times. 
Um, we uh, the rookies, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. They're they're obviously going to be the top two that people are going to be going after as they're going to be probably you know are, 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 they're going to be the starting running backs in their situations there. But uh, after those running backs, there's there's the receivers that maybe didn't get a lot of love in the actual draft, but come fantasy season. These guys could become special. Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith, and Njigba, and Quentin Johnston. Those were the top four in this past year's draft. But uh, any other rookies you're, you're liking? Uh, you want to take a crack at maybe Anthony Richardson? Oh, I love Anthony Richardson. Yeah? That was the first okay. name that popped in my head. I have Anthony Richardson as my QB10 right now. Okay. And if you look across multiple sites, you're going to see him anywhere from low end, maybe QB12, to a lot of places he's getting drafted as a QB2. And I think he's one of the biggest reasons why you can wait. There's two big ones uh, for quarterback this year, and you can go late-round quarterback. It's Daniel Jones and Anthony Richardson. If you want to throw Geno mm. into this conversation, that's fine. But Anthony Richardson, I just look at his rushing. It, we need to rewind, be kind of rewind, and understand that the rushing gives these guys such a high floor but also a high ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm old enough to remember when Jalen Hurts in his first year as a starter, everybody was like, oh, he's terrible, he's horrible. <laughs> but he puts up numbers, but he's terrible. Don't watch the games. Close your eyes. He was the QB6 in fantasy points per game that wow. year. Like, all of his numbers are attainable for Anthony Richardson. Run for 700 yards. Get 8 to 10 touchdowns on the ground. Throw for 15-plus passing touchdowns. And those don't sound like a lot, but – that's how important rushing is for quarterbacks in fantasy. And Anthony Richardson can check all those boxes this year and be a top 10, maybe even a top five guy. Uh, I know everybody wants to talk about sleepers, and it's hard to have sleepers with all the amount of information <laughs> out there. But before I get there, I want to ask you this on, on the on the quarterback situation. Who has a better fantasy season, Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields? Oh, well, this is a loaded question because that's one. Of, they're inside my top three as far as most exposed Ooh. players this year. So I'm in on both of them. Love both of them. But if I got to pick one guy here, I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson. He is actually my QB two um, behind only Jalen Hurts this year, and yes, above Josh Allen, yes, above Patrick Mahomes. And last year, before he got hurt and was lost basically for the season, like. He was the QB1 overall in fantasy points per game. He was destroying teams. And I think that that type of ceiling, especially now that we know that Todd Munkin is going to throw the ball, this is not going to be an antiquated Greg Roman system. They're not going to run the ball all darn day. So Lamar is going to get an infusion of passing uh, volume as well as the rushing is still there. So he's one of those guys. Like, I love Justin Fields. I've been out there telling people that he will break fantasy football this year, but – as far as like median and ceiling projections, Lamar mm. is right there with him, if not carries a little bit more ceiling. I've had this take with my friends, and uh, I want to share it with you. I've said it on the air, too. If Lamar Jackson was just 25% better at throwing the football, he's far and away the most dominant player in the league. I don't disagree with you at all. And I think, I think the one thing that adds noise to the equation, and I think that we're going to see – 20, uh, we're going to see 25% more. We're going to see a bump even higher than that this year is that he has not had the receiving talent to throw to in any season. I mean, even if you want to throw to Marquise Brown and stuff, he wasn't a true, true number one wide receiver. And even if you go off of like, okay, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, the, the lack of weapons around him has been astonishing for multiple years. And now the man is staring at a full cupboard, and I don't think he knows whether 
okay, when I walk up in the morning and I'm hungry, do I grab the honey bun or am I going for hmm, maybe, maybe the little store-bought muffins because they look good too. <laughs> He's got so many choices right now. Uh, Derek, uh, late rounds is where you find uh, guys that can maybe win drafts for you. Who are some of the sleepers, some guys that maybe uh, aren't getting much love but could pop up in being uh, you know, a top, top 15, top 20 fantasy player this year? So, <clears throat> depending on where you're draft, like when you're drafting and your home league settings and stuff, um, he, this guy has been, now been getting a lot of love. He's actually bumped up a little bit, but he's still in various circles. You might be able to see him in the 90s, or I'm not going to say he's going to fall outside the top 100. But James Cook is a guy I've been talking about all okay. offseason. And he's going to take over this backfield in Buffalo. He led the NFL an explosive run rate last year. It was top 12 in yards per out run. A three-down skill set is there for him, and in one of the best offenses, I've been calling him all off-season discount Jameer Gibbs, and I'm not going <laughs> to stop now. So I love James Cook, his situation, his skill set. Um, another guy that I'll, I'll, I'll keep pounding the table for is Sky Moore. Yep. I know that he burned people last year, and the playing time was not there. If the playing time is there this year, he is going to erupt. He has the skill set. He is not coming off the field in uh, two wide receiver sets. They've said that already. He's been starting in those. There's nobody that's going to displace them. I think it's him and Travis Kelsey, and then they're going to rotate guys around them. Mm -hmm. So those are two of my favorite guys to be drafting. If I'm going to go a little bit further down the barrel here as far as guys that I want to be investing a lot in, uh, Marvin Mims is a guy that I've continued drafting over and over and over again. And yes, am I probably drinking my own Kool-Aid on the ba- Broncos having a bounce back? Yeah, possibly. I'm sipping it heavy. But with Marvin Mims, his production profile as a rookie was fantastic in college. He's in a really good situation in the Sean Payton-led offense to be that lid lifter, to be the guy that provides ceiling. So somebody that you can get in the later parts of your draft. Like there might be shallow leagues. He might go undrafted or probably like a 13th, 14th round guy. But if people, and people are saying this in ADMP, they do not believe in Cortland Sutton. They're like, he's languishing as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. And my whole thing is, well, if you don't believe in that guy, then who do you think is going to score points? Is it Greg Dulcich? Is it the running backs? Like what's up <laughs> with this? Oh wait, Javante's hurt. We don't know if he's healthy. And it's like, then who is going to score touchdowns in this offense if we think it's going to be better? Hell, even if you think it's going to be terrible again, they're going to score points. So Marvin Mims is a guy that you could be starting as your wide receiver three at various points in the upcoming season. He could win you a week. In Kansas City, you, you mentioned there's Sky Moore as, as maybe is the the next touch. What about what about a guy like Justin Ross? He's been a name that's been getting a lot of love. He had the neck injury that obviously the shot him down the draft, uh, but whatnot. Like, like, but other than like, like you got MVS, it's Sky Moore. It's like yeah, like Sky Moore. They're, they're speedsters, but then there's there's Justin Ross. What do you, what do you, is there a chance that maybe he could be the the maybe the second target there in Kansas City for uh, for Mahomes? It's possible. Um, the one thing that Ross is going to have to do, and, and yes, he is he is on my late-round radar. I, I think that it, there are too many boxes that Justin Ross checked at an early, early young age at mm-hmm. Clemson to just simply ignore. You know, I mean, injuries are one thing, and yes, they can derail players' careers. Maybe they're never the same as they once were. But the other thing is I think that skill is still there. So I have no problem taking a flyer on him later in drafts. The, the the hill that, that Justin Ross has to climb over to really 
accentuate his fantasy value, he's going to have to, like I was talking about with Sky Moore, start in two wide receiver sets. Because as much multiple tight end sets as Kansas City ran last year, all he has to be at, and I say all, because it's not really hard to beat out MDS for starting snaps. We know who MDS is at this point. Amazing speed, field stretcher, can have big plays in big weeks, but he's woefully inconsistent. So if Justin Ross can do that, oh, I I mean, I already have a lot of love for Justin Ross in the final rounds of drafts, but if he can get that number two starter chair by midseason, I mean, I think you're going to see, and this isn't isn't a crazy or a hot take, I think you're going to see Justin Ross within the first three to four weeks of the season be on the like the poster boy for every <laughs> waiver wire article that's going to come out yeah. there. Like, oh, yeah, pick up Justin Ross. So I have no problem with people taking him. Like, and, and this is something I I harp on. Do not draft a kicker or a defense unless you are have to. You are forced to because of the rules. So check your rules before the draft. But don't draft a kicker or a defense. Draft Justin Ross with your last pick. Yeah, that's good advice. Really quick here, uh, Derek. We do have to run. I want to ask you. Uh, you mentioned Travis Kelsey right near the top, uh, Mark Andrews, an elite tight end. Is that something you should be doing because it's just the dearth of the position there of elite skill guys who can really get it done at the fantasy level? Should you be reaching for those guys? And really quickly, too, the, lo- the most loaded question of the fantasy season, is this the Kyle Pitts breakout season? <laughs> oh, you're setting me up right here. Um, <laughs> so I-, I, think draft- I think drafting tight ends is very, very simple this year. It's draft Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, or wait and draft Darren Waller. Those three guys can access a ceiling of 130 to 140, 50 targets that very few players can. I think that is your your top three tier of who could be the tight end one overall and really in that conversation. So I don't have a lot of exposure to Kyle Pitts because why do I draft Kyle Pitts in the 60s or 70s when I can get Darren Waller maybe around later? Now, this is not to say – don't draft Kyle Pitts. I think the upside and the talent are still firmly there. Really, it depends on where Pitts goes and my roster construction. Like, if I can get – if I'm at the back end of first round and, and Travis Kelsey falls there, I'll take him. If I'm in the second round or Mark Andrews falls into the third round, I'll take him. If Darren Waller, who's going to be my highly, most highly owned or drafted tight end this year, if he's there in the 70s and 80s, I'll draft him. But this is not to say that if I'm I'm not staring at a team that I'm in the 60s, 70s, and maybe Darren Waller, so I'm in a draft with somebody else, and somebody knows my love for Darren Waller, and they take him ahead of me, and they're laughing. Fine. I'll take Kyle Pitts. I have no problem with that, because I think the talent and the skill set are still there for him to explode. And we're talking about a guy that, yes, he he absolutely just had a terrible – it was an ultimate run-bad season for him. He was still the tight end five in expected fantasy points. So even if we want to talk about how bad things were and that type of regression for him, and I don't think Desmond Ritter is going to be great this year, but the backup that they have is is Taylor Heineke. So it's like we know what the Taylor Heineke show looks like. It might not be great, but it is a lot better than the Desmond Ritter show. So I have faith that one of these two quarterbacks can at least provide serviceable, not amazing, but serviceable league average target quality to Kyle Pitts. And if that's the case, he absolutely can explode this year. Uh, Derek, before I let you go really quickly, where can we find your work? Fantasypros.com slash Debro. It's all of my articles, everything. My rankings are up on the site. I'm on the main podcast, eh, depending on the week, two to three times a week. And you got to check out the YouTube, man, all the places, all the stuff. 
Awesome stuff. Derek Brown, Fantasy Pros. Thanks for this, pal. Really appreciate it, guys. Derek. Have a good one. Derek was on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Park guest hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Straight ahead, Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet, Buck Martinez next. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, with Patrick, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose, with Patrick, Sportsnet 960, the fan. At the top of the hour, former NHL goalie Curtis Joseph is going to join us, Cujo, and that's the uh, text topic today at 960-960, name and location for your chance to win a pair of movie tickets to go see Gran Turismo. What was the? F- what's your favorite beer league nickname you've heard, you've had, you've given a teammate, 960-960, name and location. We'll give those away at the end of the show. But right now, the Jays kicking off a series in Cincinnati tonight against the Reds to talk about a Blue Jays color analyst for the Blue Jays and Sportsnet, Buck Martinez on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Morning, Buck. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? We're great, Buck. Uh, Buck, what was your favorite nickname of a teammate you had uh, when you played in the major leagues? Motherhead. <laughs> you didn't even hesitate you know that on was? that one. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I was listening to what you said. Cujo is a cool name. I mean, that's a yeah. very cool nickname. Uh, Cujo is one of my favorites, uh, but yeah, mullet head. Do you have any idea who that is? Mullet head. Um, Hall yeah. mm. of Famer. Uh, okay, I should know this. I should absolutely know this. You got me stumped, Buck. George Brett. Ah, yes. <laughs> <That's awesome>. George <laughs> Brett. Jolly and Al gave him that name a long time ago. You know, mullet's a fish that's uh, quite prominent in... Uh, Oh, of course. In uh, Florida, and uh, you know they, you know they smoke them. They don't eat them. They're not very good eating. It was just kind of a, a throwaway kind of fish. And uh, Charlie gave George that nickname. That's Actually, awesome. it's listed as mullet in the baseball reference, but we call them mullet. It. <laughs> <laughs> if you could look up rage, instant rage in the dictionary, is that the face he made when he had his home run call back at Yankee Stadium because of the pine tar? That was really interesting. He was sitting on the bench, uh, I, I think, next to Joe Simpson. And, uh, you know, Billy Martin came out. Greg Nettle said, hey, we've got to check this back. The Yankees had been waiting for that opportunity for quite a while because George had the pine tar all up by the label. And, uh, it was, you know, it's an obscure rule. It's not enforced anymore. And guys have it all over the bat. But he, he kind of knew that Billy Martin might, might do this. And he was all fired up. Boy, he came out. Guns are blazing when he left that bed out in New York. <laughs> uh, he absolutely did. Just his face is priceless. Um, a buck, a buck, I wanted to ask you, and I know um, you guys, you and Dan, were raving about Yusei Kikuchi's latest start. Are we maybe in this country as fans and media and maybe baseball as a whole not talking enough about the resurgence of Yusei Kikuchi this season? Yeah, I don't even know if you could call it a resurgence because he's never thrown like this before. I mean, oh, okay. to be this consistent for this long, it's it's really uh, impressive. You know, he was an all-star in uh, 21. He was uh, pitched great in the first half of the season for the Mariners, but he's never been able to recapture that form until this year. And right now, I think if you watch Kikuchi pitch, you can see how much confidence he has. He, he, you know, body language is, is tremendous, and it's a, a, it's a tip-off to how a pitcher feels. And, boy, when he takes him out, he's got a lot of confidence right now. And that last outing, 
You know, I, I know I only threw uh, 86 pitches, but uh, John Snyder told me he was spent because he gave everything he had over those 86 pitches, and he was electric. His stuff is as good as anybody's in baseball right now. Buck, Buck, what are you seeing mechanically out of him that's so different? Well, if you remember, and, and this has been something that's, uh, you know, you don't want to uh, put everybody in the same bucket, but the Japanese pitchers always had a little gather and hesitation over the rubber. Go back to Nomo, go back to uh, Tanaka. All of those pitchers had a little bit of a hesitation, and he did as well. And it took him a long time to get over that hesitation because it was so inconsistent. He would come up and then wind up, his hands would be over his head, and there was a pause and a hesitation. Well, Pete Walker finally got rid of that, and now his rhythm is very good. It's very consistent. And because of that, he can repeat his delivery and throw strikes consistently. You know, everybody's talking about the, the curveball and how important it has been, and it has been very important. But the reason the curveball has been so effective is that he's throwing strikes with his fastball. And when you throw 97, the hitters have to commit early to catch up with the fastball, and when they do that, they become vulnerable to the curveball. But his slider is as good as anybody's in the game. I mean, it's right there with Clayton Kershaw right now, and he is he's really throwing well. And you know what? If you had a, a postseason matchup that had a left-handed heavy lineup, I might start him in game one the way he's throwing. Wow. Uh, Buck, with this rotation going forward, uh, like it's one through five, I guess, right now, You would you, like, confidence-wise, is this maybe the best five they've had in, in maybe, I, I want to say, yeah, 2015 team, they had a David Price and all that, but like overall, with the guys that they can throw out there, just and the, obviously with the team ERA the way it is, is this the, like the best five that the Jays have had in, in, in quite some time? I said it on the air the other day, I think this is the best five the Jays have ever had in history. Wow. When you look at the consistency of the pitching and the way that Ryu's come back, and, you know, Rio's only pitched three games, but, uh, you know, in his last two games, he's given up two hits in nine innings. But uh, for the balance and uh, the effectiveness and the uh, ability to throw deep into a ball game, I don't know that they've ever had uh, a five-man rotation that is this consistent. And there's been some great rotations, you know, with, with Stewart and Cohn and Price and Key and Henkin and Halliday and all those guys, but they never have five guys that were as effective as these guys are right now. And then, then you couple that with the bullpen as well as their throwing. I think this is the best bullpen, at least in the American League and possibly in, in the entirety of baseball because they're, they are really stacked right now. Buck Martinez, Sportsnet Blue Jays color analyst, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza in Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, featuring Patrick. Is this kind of, with how deep the starting rotation is right now, Buck, is this kind of a, a blessing in disguise maybe for Alec Manoa to really figure himself out to get back to 2022 Alec Manoa here, that they don't really need him right now? We know injuries are always a part of baseball, but as it stands right now, they don't need him to be Alec Manoa and that he can go down and probably figure out what he needs to figure out. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, obviously. Uh, I mean, this guy had a terrific season last year. Everybody knows he finished third in the Cy Young voting, and he just never really got uh, any rhythm going in the season. It was always kind of hit or miss, and he didn't have the bite on his breaking ball. He didn't have the life on his fastball. And, uh, you know, Pete Walker identified the fact that he was a little bit too deliberate going down the mound instead of having an explosive move down the mound. He was kind of feeling for the strike zone. And 
I, I think, um, you know, it's a wake-up call for him. Uh, the talent is there. Uh, the commitment is there. He's a great kid, and I think that he's going to figure it out. But, you know, barring an injury to the five-man rotation right now, I, I don't see how he can uh, help this team down the stretch because the bullpen is loaded. I don't think he could be effective out of the bullpen, and I think it's going to have to be something that he'll just have to uh, think about what he needs to do to get back to where he was last year and, and get prepared for 20 points. Uh, the bullpen, uh, adding Jordan Hicks at the deadline. Uh, you got Tim Meza, Eric Swanson, and obviously the, the the closer himself, Jordan Romano, coming back after some uh, some time away. Uh, the seven eight nine is great, but then you've got Chad Green and Trevor Richards down in Buffalo. They're coming sooner rather than later. Uh, obviously, maybe when rosters expand, you'll you'll see them up. But how do you think Chad Green will uh, will be used? Uh, will be deployed uh, once he comes up to the team? Well, Chad Green is a, a multi-inning guy that can pitch in the sixth, seventh, eighth yeah. inning. He can even pitch in the ninth inning if needed. But he's got a, a very good fastball, a very good curveball. He he bounced back. You know, he got hit in the back of the head by the catcher mm-hmm. down in Buffalo on a stolen base attempt. But uh, he's had a, an outing after that. He threw the ball very well. He threw an inning in the third after that uh, incident. So he's he's close to coming back. The, the question you have is, how does he fit in with all of – guys throwing so well um you know Bowden Francis is really throwing well Jay Jay Jackson is throwing the ball well Trevor Richards is with the club here in Cincinnati he flew in with the club so I expect okay. him to be activated before tonight's game as with uh, Kevin Kiermaier and I think Bo's going to be activated tonight too I think they're all going to be activated and hopefully Matt Chapman will be back in the lineup uh, you know he uh, still supporting a little brace on that middle finger in his right hand but I wouldn't be surprised if all of those guys are activated tonight and uh, they get their full complement of uh, their roster back active. Yeah, and uh, hearing uh, Bo Bichette is uh, getting closer here to being activated will uh, surely help this offense And uh, once Matt Chapman gets back. Uh, but we'll just talk about this offense. Uh, it's been in obviously the inconsistencies uh, with Vlad and, and obviously like uh, George Springer and Dalton Varsho have picked it up here of late. But really when it's been Whit Merrifield carrying the, the line share of the offense of late, uh, when Bo's gone, uh, how, what do you? What's your gauge on this offense, and then trying to find uh, more consistency run wise? Because Jose Brios on the mound tonight uh, in his last, you know, like uh, three, uh, like three losses that he's got, the team hasn't supported him with any runs at all. So, and Brios has been great, but like, what what do you want to see more out of this offense? Yeah, you know, they have to be more consistent, and we keep saying, well, this this team should be better. Well, the players know that. If they were playing up to their normal average season, uh, the Blue Jays would be out in front of the division, no doubt in my mind. But, you know, Bo's been terrific all year long, and they certainly missed his presence in the lineup. Whit Merrifield has been a great leadoff hitter. But, uh, you know, Vladdy still has 72 RBIs. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's not produced the way we would expect. His OPS is 778 when it should be around 850 or higher. And um, he's just inconsistent. And, you know what? This is a very difficult game. We kind of just shrug our shoulders and say, what's wrong with Springer? What's wrong with Vladdy? Well, everybody's focusing on these guys and really coming up with good game plans. And I, I just think it's just the nature of how difficult this game is that you have peaks and valleys with young players. You know, not long ago, we saw Cody Ballinger with the Cubs. And, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody was ready to write him off. Well, he was a former MVP. He's lost it. He's not going to get it back. The same can be said of Kristen Yelich with the Brewers. Everybody was ready to kick him to the curb, but he's bounced back too. This is a, a, a game of adjustments, and you have to constantly make those adjustments. 
you know, yeah, you'd like to see Vladdy get hot for the rest of the season down the stretch. You'd like to see Chapman get back to the Chapman we saw in April, and hopefully that will happen. But, uh, you know, it's there, and, you know, nobody wants to hear about potential. People want to hear about results, and the players just need to take care of business, be a little more patient, a little more selective, and get, uh, you know, get a good pitch to hit. You know, we're here in Cincinnati where the hit king is, uh, Pete Rose. And the one thing he said, the most important thing in hitting is getting a good pitch to hit. And I think that's been the biggest issue for the Blue Jays. Well, I was just about to ask you about uh, Vlad. Is it the fact that maybe his pitch selection is off or he's just pressing too hard? Or is it a combination of both, Buck? Yeah, it's a combination of both. You know, he knows everybody's talking about and, and I talked to Rob Thompson when the Phillies were at Rogers Center, and, and he said, our team's doing the same thing. And I said, well, what's your message to the team? Get a good pitch, stay in the big part of the field, and be patient. And if you don't get a good pitch, let the next guy do it. So that's the same thing that the Blue Jays coaches have told the Blue Jays. Get a good pitch, stay in the big part of the field, and don't press. And, and you know, it's just when you hear it every single day, everybody says, I want to be the guy. I'll get a big hit. And it's just not that easy to flip the switch. Um, just uh, when it comes to the offense, um, is is it obviously you guys just talked about it? But is it kind of a an offense by committee because of the guys, the inconsistencies? You need guys like the Kevin Biggios, uh, the the Santiago Espinals, occasionally the Dalton Varshows, kind of to you know just have those flat. The D- Davis Schneiders have those flashes of games where those guys get hot for one or two games, carry the offense, get the win because the pitching's so good. Is that kind of what we're have to look for here the remainder of the season? Yeah, I think so, and that's what John Snyder has done. When uh, when Kevin got hot and started to swing, and bat, swing the bat better, he's in the lineup more consistently, and he's hitting 300 in the month of August. And, um, you know, same with Espinal. He didn't get much of a playing opportunity early in the season, and then, you know, he's kind of getting some big hits now and then. But those guys, their playing time is going to be diminished once Kiermaier gets back, once Chapman gets back, and once Bolt gets back. So, you know, that's the nature of a 26-man roster. Everybody's going to have an opportunity to contribute. And when you get that opportunity, you just have to be ready. And Espinal and, and Davis Schneider, uh, Varsho now has gotten a couple of big hits in the last week. So, you know, you just got to stay ready. And hopefully your regular players will do most of the heavy lifting. And then when you get your chance, uh, hopefully you'll have an opportunity to help the team win. Uh, Buck, Jay's first trip to Cincinnati in, in quite some time, and it'll be their uh, first look at uh, Joey Votto uh, in Cincinnati, and uh, maybe one of their last looks at Joey Votto uh, as, uh, as he's uh, getting to the end of his career. But just uh, a talk about what he's meant, uh, not just uh, to the Reds, but just like just uh, Canadian baseball. Is like he's been called like the most interesting man in baseball, and uh, you see he's done his videos with his chess playing and whatnot. But I, I think he's just an absolute. Uh, beauty to just watch and just just hear from, but just uh, maybe a thought on Joey Votto and what he's meant for for the Reds and, and Canada baseball. Yeah, and you know Joey's now thirty nine years old. He's going to turn forty in September, and what a career he has had. And playing seventeen years with the same team is quite an accomplishment. But uh, you look at all of his accolades. Uh, he's a six time All Star. He's won Gold Glove. He's a great hitter. He's always been a guy that gets on base a lot. He's uh, led the National League in on-base percentage seven different times. But, uh, you know, he knows he's getting to the end of the uh, journey. And uh, he's enjoyed watching these kids come up and, uh, and have some success. And I think he's valuable in his ability to pass his experience on to some of the younger players. 
you know, Joey was always a guy that played every single day. And, um, you know, his, his skills, and naturally, at 39 years old, they're not the same as they were when he was 29 years old. But um, he's been a terrific ambassador for Canada baseball. And you know what? He's starting to loosen up a little bit. He's always been pretty close yeah. to the vest, guarded with his comments. But I don't know if you saw the Chris Russo interview, yep. and he was terrific yep. in that. <laughs> that was one of the best things I've ever seen him do, where he ripped Russo for calling him, uh, what do you call him, a Hall of Famer of the very good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, he's, his personality has come out a bit. And uh, he's got a future, uh, whether it's as a manager or a broadcaster, whatever he wants to do. He'll have a, a long career in baseball if he chooses to For do sure. that. Um, Buck, obviously, uh, with the turmoil surrounding the Tampa Bay Rays right now, losing Shane McClanahan, and obviously this disturbing Wander Franco story, is that a team potentially with all these uh, obstacles ahead of them? Is that a team potentially? I know the Blue Jays are a few games back of them. Is that a team that potentially could fall to wild card race? Are the Mariners very dangerous? The Astros are right there, the defending you know World Series champion. Which, which team should Blue Jays fans be most nervous about here in the wild card run? Or is it the Red Sox kind of lurking in the background too? The Blue Jays should be most nervous about the Blue Jays. If they take care of themselves, I think they'll be fine. And, uh, you know, yeah, the, the Mariners are only half game back in the wild card race now. Boston Red Sox are getting healthy again, and they've got Sale back, and they've got Turner back, and Trevor Story's back at shortstop. So when you look at the wild card race, Boston is still three and a half back. Tampa Bay's got a five and a half game win. I don't know how Tampa Bay has done it over the years because they're always losing players. They always, they've had a ton of Tommy John surgeries. They've lost three of their starters this year. And um, now the they Wander Franco thing, that's, um, he might not play the rest of the season. And obviously that's, you know, it's, it's a loss for them, but obviously it's a much more significant situation than worrying about baseball. But uh, the Astros, they're not going anywhere. They're a real good team, and they got Verlander to trade deadline. But if the Blue Jays just, just play up to their capabilities, I think they'll be fine. And um, you know what? The first part of this schedule from here on out, they, after this, they'll play Baltimore and then Washington and Cleveland and then the Colorado and uh, Kansas City and Oakland at the start of September. So it's it's a favorable schedule, but at the same time, you, you just can't overlook the Cincinnati Reds this weekend. They're going to have a good series here in Cincinnati. Uh, Buck, before I let you go, um, your Chiefs are trying to repeat as Super Bowl champions. Are you worried about the Chris Jones holdout? Is he going to be there week one? I think he'll be there week one. I, they, they can't afford to lose him, obviously. And You know, I'm sure he's working out. I know Mahomes has been talking to him. And uh, he'll get into camp. And, you know, after all, how much is he going to play uh, in the preseason as long as he's there for opening game? And uh, it's a good team. And, uh, you know, Sky Moore is coming along as a receiver. And, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill hasn't really been missed that much. And the Mahomes is pretty special. So, yeah, it's yeah. going to be another exciting season for the Chiefs. And we're all looking forward to that. Yeah, and the AFC is absolutely stacked. Buck Martinez, Blue Jays color analyst for Sportsnet. Buck, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Thanks, Buck. Great to be with you guys. You have a good rest of your day. There he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Jays and Reds tonight on the radio station. It's an Apple Plus TV game. If you don't got that, you can obviously listen to the game right here on Sportsnet 960, uh, the fan. We're also uh, taking your, your favorite nicknames, your beer league nicknames. 
960-960, name and location. In honor of Cujo, Curtis Joseph joining us in about nine minutes or so. Uh, give us your favorite beer league nickname. Either you've, you've received, you've given, you've heard from a teammate. 960-960, name and location. Just wanted to do something, uh, really quickly here. Uh, I know, um, you know, you know, I like the tennis, um, oh, yeah. Patrick. And you know, I like my man, Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he beat Gael Monfils last yes, night did. for a historic 19th straight time. Uh, no player in men's professional tennis has ever beaten a, a person 19-0, and and that's what Novak Djokovic is against Gael Monfils. Uh, <laughs> he signed his shirt last night, and he wrote, Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I'd expect from Novak Djokovic. Yeah. I'm sure Gael Monfils, like, he just takes it in stride because Monfils, he's a good guy, too, and yeah. he's a... He's a colorful, colorful character as well. But no, uh, what Djokovic yeah. is doing right now, um, once he gets to flushing, it's going to be amazing. And yeah. uh, I'm excited. It's going to be him and Alcaraz once again. I, hopefully. I'm almost, uh, hopefully again, under the lights in New York. It's going to be great. Uh, but it also reminds me of uh, one of the best sporting quotes of all times. Didn't know if you were aware of this. Um, Jimmy Connors uh, was an incredible, you know, tennis player. one of the greats. Is it the answer to the question? No. no. Uh, Jimmy Connors was one of the greatest of all time, and uh, he uh, he lost to the late great Vitas Gerolitis on uh, January of 1980. After uh, Vitas Gerolitis lost 16 straight times to Jimmy Connors, he beat him. In the 17th time, and Vetus Gerolitis said this, one of the greatest sports quotes of all time, nobody beats Vetus Gerolitis 17 times in a row. (laughs) It's one of the greatest sports quotes of all time. Nobody beats me 17 times in a row. That's funny. It's one of the greatest sports quotes of all time. All right, 8 o'clock hour, busy. Curtis Joseph, straight ahead at 8.30, the Speargrass Golf Show. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, I want to talk about a specific course you can play in a specific country, which has a specifically really low, really, really low course record. Oh, okay, okay. We'll do that at 8.30, and we'll give away the tickets to Gran Turismo with your nicknames. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Rustic and Rose, no Rose, a Dumas, Sportsnet 960, the fan.